Hello, my friends, Nigel here, and welcome to Backable, the podcast where we explore the top performance habits in both business and life. Today, Tim and Alana are talking evolution, both in your business and in yourself, because the evolution of a business is heavily linked to that of the owner's thoughts and interpretation of the world. As we evolve our thinking, we begin to fix problems in our business in a far more efficient way. We begin to see problems with a new set of filters, and we sometimes feel that we have new eyes where we can see the problem quickly. When you begin to understand this path, you'll discover a new level of courage in your ability and can accelerate with confidence and have little regard for looking back. It's a really great episode. Hope you enjoy. Hello, friends. Hello, Nigel. Hello, Lana. Hello. <laughs> Today we're talking about something very, very interesting. And why is it interesting? Because we had the discussion last week and we found it very interesting. So I hope everyone listening out there equally enjoys the conversation. What it's about is the evolution of your business and your performance personally and the different stages that you'll go through in business and how you will evolve in terms of your thinking, who you are as a person and the way you view the world, funnily enough. And we notice this a lot, guys, which is as people start to evolve, I guess mature a little in, their, in the way they see the world, they start to fix problems in their businesses or challenges in their business because they're just seeing the world differently. They see the matrix differently. And this has become very obvious for all of us, especially while we've been building Backable because we're meeting thousands of different people. And it just reigns true that where people are at personally in their development directly reflects where they're at at their business and the challenges they're facing. And so today, we want to talk through, I guess, some of the the mindsets, shifts, some of the things that change at the different stages of your business. And I think we we may as well start with the start. That would be obvious, wouldn't it? (laughs) It's probably a good place to start. There's the first performance principle, begin at the beginning. Hope everyone's enjoying the podcast. Now, let's talk about small business and mindset, because when we start our businesses, most of us started in a panic. We need to find a customer before we run out of money. So there's a whole different energy in the place. There's a whole different energy for yourself. There's a whole different way you look at the world, right? And so let's talk about this first, which is I think what we've come to see with smaller businesses is that it's not a scarcity energy, but it's almost a little erratic. And it it has to be. Anna, we've noticed this particularly when people start businesses or have come to us for mentorship or We've just helped people sort of kick off their first venture. It's electric, but it's also um, loose. That looseness that you're talking about, is that a necessity of starting a business, do you think? Because it seems to be a common theme. I think it's an excitement. I think it's like with all of us when we try something new or do something for the first time, there's this erratic energy, but that's also obviously the excitement and why we want to do things we've never done before. But there's, I guess, um, if we call that the high of starting a business, which is We don't know the path. We're excited about it. We would have all heard the old phrase that if we knew what we're in for, we would have never begun. It's then after you get into it and it becomes less exciting because it's now the work portion of it. It doesn't mean it's not less enjoyable. It's just got a different energy. And what we see when smaller businesses, they're into it, they're doing it, they understand, forgive the word, the grind of having to get to stage one of a business development, get a few clients in, start to run the business properly then the hard work sort of kicks in and 
you see that people who struggle during this first period, they start to develop some thinking that doesn't serve them. One of the things we've noticed is people feeling sorry for themselves. So they're a few years into the business and they're starting to feel like the world's against them because they're not sleeping well, they haven't had a lot of money, they feel like they've made mistakes, they've had trouble with clients, there's problems everywhere, which is just the natural thing. But there's this idea of the world's out to get me. And Alana, we've seen this a lot of times of people who've never actually got through this phase is because they honestly feel like they're a victim at this point in time, but it's not. We've had to go through this, what, maybe a hundred times. And then some. Um, I think it's quite interesting because what happens is at the start, it's this idea of be careful what you wish for. You get really excited because you want to start your own business and everything's bright and shiny and exciting. And then as you actually get into that idea of work, starting the business actually doesn't seem that fun and or sexy and or what you wanted. And Yeah, it's actually work. It's actually hard work. And this idea of the world's out to get me, well, it's not. You just had a misalignment of the expectation of what it would be versus very few people haven't their business. They just happen to have the job that they're employed in by themselves. Yeah. I want to jump in there because just before all our more senior listeners switch off because ah, this is low level this is a mindset, have a think about where you're at in your business right now and what actually have you hidden this message in your brain? Where are you feeling sorry for yourself? I've met people doing tens of millions of dollars and they feel sorry for themselves because they can't buy their competitor out for 50 million bucks or they don't know how to IPO or they don't know how to do this. So at some level, this stays with us through all the phases. We just We find a way to believe that we don't feel sorry for ourselves. But have a think about right now in your life, what energy of the world's out to get me are you letting into what part of your life? And this is something we have to grapple with as business owners all the time because we have to keep challenging that. And I think as someone who's done it for 11 or so years, I absolutely feel sorry for myself. But the difference is the amount of time I allow it. Sometimes it could be 30 seconds of feeling sorry for myself, whereas it used to probably be, I don't know, two weeks of, I can't believe this client did this, or I can't believe Tim said that to me. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't even imagine that situation, Lana. Couldn't imagine. (laughs) We've all been there once. We've all been there. (laughs) Oh, my God. Give me a violin. (laughs) Let me play you two. Feeling sorry for ourselves. ourselves. (laughs) It's a perfect example of, maybe I should add one here, be careful who you surround yourself with. (laughs) (laughs) But it, it links into this really interesting thing of, I believe for it's control. So you feel sorry for yourself because you think that you can't control things around you or you think yeah. you should be able to control things around you. And I know we have spoken about this before, but it's a really sad understanding you come to that you actually just don't matter. No one cares if you're out of control. No one cares if you got a client, lost a client. You care. Yeah. But it just doesn't really impact. Absolutely agree. Nobody cares if you make $100 million and nobody cares if you go bankrupt. Your life's your life and actually you'll learn this more in the journey is no one actually cares until it relates to them. As much as people are supportive and I'm, I know it sounds like I've got a poor um, vision of the world and how the world treats you but it's not. It's everyone's living their own life and sometimes in business things are going to happen that were unexpected. That's actually navigating the growth of a business. If you're in that first phase, you have to accept that the energy of feeling sorry for yourself has to be taken out as quickly as possible because it does not serve you at all. When you see really great operators, 
They never spend time feeling sorry about a circumstance. They've spent all their time in solution mode because they know business is a game of fixing problems. Without that, there is no business, right? That's all of us. So this is a very early lesson you get, which is you have no time to feel sorry for yourself. Get on with it. Is it a necessary step, do you think, in the journey? We're talking about people that have started their own business, they're bootstrapping, those kind of things. Because to start it, you have to be an optimist. You have to believe that you've got something that can solve a problem for somebody else. And then the realism kicks in. Absolutely. And I don't think you have to start with it because I know people who have developed a very healthy performance pattern prior to starting businesses. So they came into it not feeling sorry for themselves in any way. It's a victim mentality. And the reason why I think some people maybe develop it more in business is because it's so lonely at times. So generally, when we come through life, we've got some form of support, hopefully family, friends, whatever it is, your community, we've got that. When we get into business, it's very difficult to relate to that support network if they haven't been in business before. So a lot of the time when you're lonely, you start to develop these time to think about things. And I think that's why it's greatly enhanced in smaller businesses is because people are a lot more isolated at times and the brain starts to play these tricks. And then from that, if you don't actually have the mechanisms to stop it, If you don't actually have the ability to move on, deal with it and not dwell on it, you drive yourself crazy. You absolutely, if you keep dwelling on it, you just don't progress. And I think that that's where most people who don't get out of this section of growing a business, it's because they can't actually let it go. Yeah. And I just want to, I want to talk about if you find yourself in this situation. So if you're listening to this in your car or at home and you, and you feel like the world's closing in on you and you feel like the pressure's really building, just remember that is an illusion. There's some practicality around it, obviously, because we've got financial pressures that happen in a business. We've got delivery pressures. I'm talking about smaller businesses that are learning this, but you're not a victim. You're not a victim at all. And this has been a choice to do this. So this is what you get paid for, which is navigating a way to feel good while you have to do the work that's difficult. And this is this lesson now will directly relate to how quickly you can grow your business in the future. Nothing is going to be the end of the world. At worst, you lose a business. But that's not the end of your world. doesn't matter who you are or what you are because there's millions of stories of people who've lost something they thought was the end of their world and it's been the best thing they could do. doesn't mean you can't turn it around, but this is very important not to be fall into despair and deep despair. And you and I had this discussion last night. We were talking about the fact that when the worst, what we thought was the worst thing possible that could happen. Now, I won't always, <laughs> ends up being the best is probably a bit too bright and shiny, but it comes back to this idea of just because something bad happens doesn't mean you stop, doesn't no. mean you give up. And we just we spoke about that because, and not that we want to go down, hey, don't accept that you've lost something. But when you lose a possibility of something, your brain starts to navigate a different path. Generally, when it's difficult is when a few things are sort of open to you. So you're trying to navigate all these different positions. When you lose one of those opportunities, then your brain switches to the opportunity and the things that are still alive and you find new opportunities in that. And that's the amazing thing about business and life, which is as soon as a decision is made and something's cut off, everything becomes easier. It's like people who lose a relationship that was big. They go, I'm going to be lonely forever. And then you see them a few months later and it's like, 
oh, I didn't realize how many people are like me or whatever it is, because that's the brain. It's not sorting for that when it doesn't need to. And this happens in business when you lose a client. Oh, that was our best client. We'll never find another one. Like Lana and I, when we had our businesses losing clients now that wouldn't even be an ideal client and we'd never work with because we've evolved as a business. But at the time, it felt like we'd lost a limb. And it comes back to ego because you feel that you've put so much into it that they should stay with me, that I didn't do a good job. Well, no, it just, it didn't work out. And it happens, if, if you're an agency of any form, it happens all the time. If you're a product, it's the reviews that you get. Yeah. It's that feedback on the product is the only way to get better is to fail. And if you're always sitting there thinking, this is the worst that could ever happen, well, you have to actually grow up. Absolutely. And I think where that leads into is when you feel sorry for yourself, a lot of people who have close relationships worry about pleasing others. So decisions that need to be made when you're in this first phase of business, you're worried about pleasing others. So I've got to look after my first client because they were my first client, but really you can't do that now because the business is evolving or you realize they're not the right client or I've got to make my family happy because they need my time on the weekends how we used to, but I feel like I need to work during this phase. Remember, I'm talking about phase one where sometimes you have to do what would be considered by others unreasonable hours. So I give you my experience, like my parents would say early on in my first few businesses, you're working so hard. And it wasn't that they weren't supportive. It was from a place of worry and care that you're doing so much work, but it doesn't actually look like you're making much money. You'd be easier just to get a job and work less and make more. But they didn't see the matrix the way I saw it. And so if you spend time trying to make other people happy about the life you're leading, your mind's already in the wrong spot. And this is where you must become selfish. If you've decided to start a business, be good at it. Be freaking good at it and stop worrying about pleasing others about the life you want to lead. The idea of being good at it is a very interesting one because you really can only be good at things once you've messed up because you have to figure out how to come back from something. If you're not that good, you have to build up to being good and then you become great. But the only way that you become great, in my definition of what great is, is you see, you see how the chessboard is laid. You see every move. You can see five moves ahead. You know what's coming so that you can change course because you've experienced it. And if you never fail, if you never make a mistake, if you never go through what we're talking about in these different stages of growing a business, you actually never get to great. So you almost have to change your mindset into every time something goes wrong, every time I dwell on something for a week when... Tim said, I shouldn't. You actually have to be okay with it. You do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me me drop a truth bomb on you. Can we have a sound effect for truth bomb? (laughs) Um, You have to accept that if you're not making mistakes, you definitely aren't a top performer. So if we look at an athlete, the great athletes get injured. They have to because they're pushing the limits of what their bodies are capable of. And they're surrounded by people to fix those injuries or support their bodies when they've overdone it. And it doesn't mean major injuries. It means strains. And have a think about that. And even people who don't like sports, have a look around in your profession or things you're interested in. Look at the top performers in that industry. What have they done to push the limits? You see comedians that push the limits between what they can and should say. Now, they'll always say it's just comedy, but they know they overstepped the mark then. They miss the mark and they pull it back and they find 
what's the balance between funny and obnoxiously not funny? In every profession at the top of the profession, you have had to have made some mistakes. Most smaller businesses don't make enough of the right mistakes and they're wondering why things don't seem to get on a roll. And this is about taking calculated risks. This is around, if I was an athlete, running the extra mile to see if my body could do it, jumping a little bit higher. In Formula One, it's pushing the track limits of your car. And guess what? You might hit a few walls. You might spin out. You might make mistakes. But that's performance. And that's the process of performance. If I have to say another P, Nigel, I'm going to (laughs) really, my tongue's going to fall off. So in that, I mean, you've raised an interesting point the term calculated risks when people start off from what i've seen my experience yeah people take risks whether they're thought through or not they just throw everything at the wall as they kind of get a little bit further along if the things haven't worked out in the way that they've wanted to that in the delusion they wanted yep yeah (laughs) (laughs) but there's a fear of taking those risks comes into it they seem to be a little bit more timid in going for the thing that's outside of exactly what they know how to do so, it's really easy to take a risk when you've got nothing to lose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> super easy. But when you've got something that you've been working on for 10 years, that's when you actually see the real, I would say, the real business people or, or entrepreneurs. Yeah. That's where they come into their own. That's where the elite entrepreneurs are. They calculate and deal with risk. It's not normal. It's superhuman. It's a superpower how they do. You know, And when we know all the named ones that, would be sort of the famous ones at the moment of our generation. They're super amazing around risk. But in your small business, in the start of your small business, you're learning this skill. You're learning how to deal with risk from your first client to your first marketing strategy to your first talk. That's why it's important to keep taking risk and actively taking risk. Most businesses that we meet that have stopped growing, they stopped taking risks years ago. And it's not a bad thing because, as Lana said, as soon as you've got something to lose, it's taken so long for you to get to a point where you're starting to feel that you've got something, your business is moving, but it's not where you want it to be, but you're almost frozen in what you can do because you don't want to lose what you've built, yet you want something different to keep growing. And that's that breakthrough to the next level. And that actually takes another calculated risk. Would you risk your house? Would you risk your biggest client? Would you risk losing an employee because you're changing direction? Whatever it is. Can we bring it back to you guys from my perspective? You do take risks. I know they're calculated, but even if we look at this period that we've just gone through, where a lot of people are pulling down and consolidating, you've invested heavily in areas that don't have an immediate monetary reward against them. How do you balance that risk now? Because you would have people going, what are you doing that for? Yeah. Definitely. I think people think we're not conservative around risk because I really think it's from martial arts conditioning. You step into the punch and you step into the kick. That's the best way to be most protected is stepping into the perceived danger, navigating it. I think that's where you can find more opportunity. So when we talk about risks, it's not gambling, it's calculated risk versus reward. So that's the same in investing which is if I put my money in this, if I think it's an exponentially higher risk, I want an exponentially higher potential reward. And so it's the same with business, which is, well, where are we at and what could we get if we do this? Well, that might jump us forward two years as a business. Okay, let's do it now because if we make a mistake, where does that leave us? 
well, it could you know, slow us down for a quarter. Good investment. So it's, it's more just a calculated investment of time, energy, and resources for what you can get out. And that's all we ever do. So my understanding of that in breaking it down a little bit is that you would not take a risk, which is a roll of the dice, which could tank a company. Am I right in that? Um, if it was worth it, yeah. you would. <laughs> uh, yes, I would. Because if the company needed to pivot, it didn't have a future in what it was doing. What choice have you had? Like I'm not someone who wants to live a slow death in a business. I don't think that's good for anyone. So if you know that that business is running, they're running into a, an industry or they're doing something that's not going to be there in the future, well, there's no point doubling down on that. If you've identified that, that's your job. Now, what does that company need to do to navigate the future? You remember, not many companies survive. It's just a matter of time, right? So we're trying to get the best out of our resources when the time that they've got a heartbeat. And that's it. There's a really interesting concept in the book, Thinking Fast and Slow. And it talks about how in the world there are number ones and number twos. And number ones are people who, the Tims and me of the world. And I wouldn't say that we're the highest of the ones, um, but they are this quintessential jump and build it on the way down. They've got enough intuition about how things work that when they see something, they just get it. They know it and they can see those five step aheads. Number twos are people who need to gather information before they make a decision, before they make a step. And the book talks about how strong businesses need ones and twos to work together, but what's more important is they need twos to not think that they're number ones. You can't actually exist thinking that you're something else. So if, and we've spoken about it before, Tim's strength's not an implementation. So why would he be an implementation? His skill is strategy. His skill is seeing what's ahead and motivating people to get there. It's the same thing in understanding how one thinks. Everyone might think they want to be a number one, but it's actually a scary place to be because it's risk. You have to back yourself. When things go wrong, you have to pull yourself up really, really fast. And ones often relies on twos to bring them back into reality. And so when we talk about would Tim roll the dice on a business, quite possibly, but I also know from his point of view, it would depend on the situation because as a number one, he would see the lay of the board, whereas theoretically, we don't know. I think that's important to understand because it's a good question, Nigel, but also for those listening, we're all running businesses, but we may not be fighting in the same weight class. And if your ambition in business is to run a small business, to support your family, have a good life, you don't need to be rolling the dice on taking huge risk. What we're talking about here is wanting to grow organizations to their utmost potential. That's what Lana and I are into. If we wanted a peaceful life, we would pick a business, get it to a point and just let it run, right? Just keep running it and live our lives. So make sure you understand the weight class in which you're fighting it. Understand what your personal ambition is and what the business needs to do for you in that, in your life. Because that's okay. That'll change the whole risk profile of taking risk. But what we're talking about here is in that start phase, which is knowing what you want to build and getting there as fast as possible and understanding that this is just part of that stage one. Because with that comes mistakes. Risk is mistakes. Risk is not about always getting it right. You know the old saying, if you find yourself constantly winning, play a bigger game. You shouldn't always win. So when you make mistakes, 
how, as a smaller business owner, as someone who's new to it, how long do you spend dwelling in the past? And this is one of the mindset things we see for smaller businesses is they take a risk, it was the right decision, it didn't come off for whatever reason, and they spend the next two years dwelling on why it didn't work, as opposed to what has to happen now. What do we need to do? That's the point of business is accepting where you are right in this moment and moving forward from there, not thinking you have to overanalyze what didn't work and now why you've semi-crippled the company for a quarter or two. This is important because you have to understand what you're growing in terms of your personal performance philosophy when you start a company. And by the way, it's not being in business for a time because it's where you are at. So you may be in business for 10 years and still developing these things. But as soon as you acknowledge them and think about them, you can change them pretty quickly because as soon as you find some of those behaviors that aren't serving you, you go, why am I always thinking about that? Why am I always thinking about that ex-business partner? Why am I always thinking about that client? Why am I always thinking about what we could have done if we'd just done this? Forget it. You're not there anymore. Stop living in an illusion. If you want to be a backable person, you have to accept where you are right now and make the decisions that are going to serve you with the current resources. And that's the point of stage one in business, right? Is developing that mindset so we can get to the next point. Is it as simple as that? When you catch yourself feeling sorry for yourself from your own experience, is it as simple as saying, oh, I'm thinking that, stop it, move on? Well, that's how my brain works, but (laughs) I, I don't think that's how everyone sort of works because most people are gentle to themselves. But that's because you're attached to what you're doing is personal. This is not personal. It's business. Your job as the owner of the company is to deliver a result. Now, if the first thing you have is, I'm not sure what I meant to deliver, great, we know what the problem is. You're a rudderless ship. Of course, it's going to be difficult to sail a ship that's spinning in a circle because there's no rudder. What you work out is when you have that pressure on yourself, which is my job is to take the business from here to here, and why are we not there? Because this is in the way, this is in the way, this is in the way. Great. What do I need to do to remove that and in what order? Because we don't have unlimited resources. So for me, if you find yourself feeling like that, you need to start thinking about what do I need to do to shift my mindset. I'm not as straightforward as Tim. I got out of it or got into it, depending which way you look at it, by seeing what the end goal was. And yes, it's a decision. But if you don't have an end goal that you can look at and say, does this help me get to that goal? From my point of view, I could never do it. So something like dwelling on the past. I'd love to dwell on the past, but is that going to get me closer to what I want? And the answer very quickly becomes no. So every time I would start to dwell or question, I was aware that I had to make that decision. But for me, it was the awareness of this is not helpful. Why is it not helpful? Because it doesn't get me to what I want to do. If I've done something correctly, what does dwelling on it actually do other than make myself feel bad? It doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't change the outcome. Whereas if I simply action as much as I can to get to the goal, that was how I was able to move from one level to the other. Yeah, and that's small business 101, which is people who don't break through that first level spend too much time on activities that don't serve them. And because they've made a mistake, they almost have to beat themselves up or they have to dwell on it. It's generally how they'll be dealing with their own personal lives. And this is a definite truth. Most of your business principles in the early stages are based on how you live your life. So people who dwell in the past, people who can't let something go personally with someone else, you're the same person. And the way you run a business is the way most likely you're running your life. That awareness side of things, 
you guys are coming at it from a very particular angle, you particular, Tim, because you like building businesses. Mm-hmm. So for you to take a risk and shut one down and move on to the next one or whatever it is, a lot of people have the skill that they start with and that's what they're going to do for the rest of their life. If you're a carpenter, you're going to be that carpenter. Yep. Does that make any difference in any of this conversation? Well, I think that's that whole idea of what does the business need to be in your life? So if you've decided that your business is going to be your lifelong way of producing income for you and your family, then great. How do I run the business in the way that gives me everything I want in that life? So what a lot of people make the mistake of is they don't want to grow huge multi-million dollar businesses but they don't decide what's the business they want to create. They don't look at, well, I actually like to spend family time. I'd actually not like to be on my laptop every night. I'd actually like to bring in a business that can help run it. I'm happy to work in it, but I want people to help contribute to running it so I actually can have a balance. Nothing wrong with that, but you have to calibrate that and then that's your goal. Whereas if you've got a different goal, which is, no, I want to see if I can buy a super yacht. Great. What do you need to navigate your business to where you can create that type of economic impact and what would you need to do because it can't just be a small business that slowly grows over year to year you're going to have to take different risks at different times in order to get to that level of financial result most people don't calibrate that they just see how they go and a lot of people within that think that that's not them that they actually believe that they've got a different way of viewing things but i will just say this as a millennial As someone who is constantly thrown under the bus for wanting more and wanting things before I'm ahead of time, have a look at what you have said that you want and have a look at the input that you've put in to get that. Not time, because this is not a time thing, but in a world where there are hundreds and thousands and millions of businesses happening and growing every day, you're competing against every new business that comes up. How much energy and effort are you putting in there? If you want that yacht, you don't get to see your family at the beginning. Like it's just not reality because you have to be better than the next business. By the way, even when you don't want the yacht, you still may not get to see your family at the beginning. (laughs) Uh, It doesn't really make a difference because you're in survival mode until you get to a critical mass. So it's whatever it takes. And if, if you don't want that yacht and if you're actually, you are more craving a balanced life where you get to see your family or where you get to have weekends off, the best thing I can say is stop talking about wanting the yacht because you don't want it and stop being pulled into, to Tim's point about what other people think, the idea of the hustle or the grind. If you don't want that, be honest about it because that's then the easiest way to get yourself to the next level. Absolutely. There's a difference between being a business builder and being self-employed. There's nothing wrong with either of them. You just got to calibrate what it is for your life. There's also If you're someone who is very good at being self-employed and you still have ambition to make money, you might take the tact of all I need to do is keep my business running and start investing in different ways. So where your time's actually spent is maximizing the returns of your self-employed business and working out how do I get that because there's nothing wrong with that. People have got very, very wealthy from investing and doing things with your money. You're just going to have to learn that skill or seek out people who can help you. There is no get rich quick. It's kind of ironic though that there is no get rich quick, but one of the natures that I've seen for most entrepreneurs or people that are building is that patience isn't a big factor. Bloody millennials. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, because it's true. Patience isn't that sort of virtue. And also you shouldn't be patient if you're in business. 
if you've got the mindset that this is going to take years, you should not be patient. This is your opportunity. You should be aggressively going for the opportunity right now. So this is, I think, misconstrued by a lot of people that you have to be patient. Business takes years to grow. Yes, it does because it never ends. But it doesn't mean you can't get to amazing financial results quickly. But you have to be impatient. You actually have to be very impatient. You actually have to constantly not waste days and weeks and quarters. That's the point of this whole performance, which is if you're the owner, you should be impatient. And impatient doesn't mean beating up your people. Impatient means we need to get to here and we can't miss. Great. What do we need to do? So from what we were talking about, there's one principle, rule, commandment, whatever you're comfortable with that really... Let's go with commandment. It's more religious. <laughs> oh, Lordy. <laughs> we're going down this track, no, are we? No, we are not. <laughs> um, there's one thing that really gets me when I see it in business owners, when they think that they deserve it, when they think that they're owed something. And I can't tell you how often I have seen this in clients of business growth who are unwilling to do the work because they've done it before. And to me, that is so incongruent with wanting to build something that is special, that lasts, that grows, that gets you to your goal, that makes you happy. Because none of us are owed anything. And this is coming from someone who has lost a lot and gained a lot. For me, when I see that, that someone feels that something's owed to them, I will never back them. Because I know that their entire being of being involved with me is going to be about what I can give them because they deserve it. Regardless if it's a separate entity that we're talking about, they still have this, I'm owed. Yeah, you are owed nothing. And just because you work hard doesn't mean you get the result because you've worked hard. If you've worked hard and didn't get the result, then you have not worked smart because you've spent too much time working on something that doesn't work. Or? Or nothing. (laughs) Or the cards didn't fall in your favour. Keep going. So change. Just shift. You have an option. Go and get a job. Yeah. You have an option. Change jobs. (laughs) Everyone's got so many options out there that this idea of being owed something is as if you don't. But I will say having freedom is not always what we want. We think we want it. But with freedom then comes so many choices that once again you have to make a decision. And if you can't make decisions. Oh, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> oh poor Lana. This got is freedom. not about me. Oh, my God. <laughs> Cut that out. No. Wah, wah. You don't like that? No, I agree. But, I mean, it just sounds so pretentious when people are struggling with their lives and, and having choice that the one thing they're trying to get to, it's almost like it's so hard to have too much money. It's not. It's- no, no, but that's, that's my point is that nothing that we're talking about here is hard. It's business. It's the decision that people are making. So I didn't take the so hard too much money from that comment. The way I look at it is freedom, as you said, everyone says they want it when they get it, not so much. We all have the freedom to do whatever we want. It may be that people don't want to accept the consequences of making those choices. You and I had freedom and we freedomly chose to live with my parents so that we could put everything back into the business. Let's be fair. I would also choose to live with your parents. Uh, it would have nothing to do with business. That wasn't a, that wasn't a um, choice. If we could choose to do both, we would have done that. So we're not sitting there going, we had too much choices. We had limited choices and we had- We, we had chose to put everything into the business. That, that's right. But that was limited choices. We couldn't do both. So when you're talking about freedom, that's not freedom. That's a choice. I just don't, I don't agree. 
Yeah, that's my point. The world owes you nothing. You literally have just backed up my point. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. And tune in next week (laughs) for just him on his own. (laughs) But that expectation side of things is an important one because everyone is taking the risk as the business owner. And I know I've gone through and I felt like I've owed something until I had to reset and go, actually, all I am owed is the opportunity to earn the next step. Yeah, you're owed what you've created. So this is, I think, the challenge that a lot of people have in life is they feel that they've done a lot of work. So where's the result of that work? And people are, well, I've done a lot of work, so I contributed. Yeah, but so's everyone. That's the standard. What have you created? And why haven't you created more of that if that's what you want more of? It's the same thing with, you know, we see it with the small business owners. I work as hard as anyone. Then why is your business not creating as much profit? Well, we like to help people and we, we over-service people and we do this, we do this, we do this and go, so who cares? So you're making a choice to pay them to do the work. So don't expect money back if you're making a choice to pay them with your profits. Oh, but I like to over-service them. I don't want them to leave. Great, you've got a poor model. This is not personal. This is about where you want to get to and making the decisions that get you there. So if you can't protect your time or your company's resources, it's your fault. And you're learning. It's okay. I'm not beating you up. You don't have to jump off a bridge. This is just, you have to think about what you want to do and what's working and what's not working. Because most people actually expect immediate results from their efforts. What you have to understand is the first phase of your business growth is results will take some time because you're still learning about your company, how it produces profit, where it fits in the market, and that it takes a little bit of time to marinate. One of the things that can drive you mad is expecting things to happen by a certain time as opposed to setting where the business needs to be and looking at the mechanisms in which will get you there because if you just focus on the outcome people can get lucky at different times in their journey but luck doesn't hold relentless process and drive produces consistent results so i've seen a lot of people get lucky early fast forward a few years and they've got no idea how to grow a company because all they did was get lucky or they had a They had a contact, they had an opportunity, but after that, they're useless. And these are things you have to start working out. Let's jump into phase two of growing your company, which is you move from stage one, which is the small business, the electric energy, all the mindset things you have to navigate and and grow through and get better with. And then we look at, as Lana said a little bit earlier, Well, now you've got something to lose. So it's great. It's like playing poker. I'm playing on the bigger table, higher stakes now. Actually playing with money that matters if I lose it. Because this might be the foundation of your whole family infrastructure, which is we need to produce money. I see this a lot with clients that are successful. As they've started to chip up, they've got more responsibilities financially for their personal life. And the business has to keep producing that amount of money for them to survive. And so they've bought a house, they bought a nicer car, they've done all these different things and now there's this different type of pressure on them. It is this business has to keep doing that. So what generally happens is they give away their power a little bit. They've given away the innovation. They've given away the things that they used to do well to get them there but now they feel like they can't take those sort of risks. It's something that I know we've experienced personally of giving people more power as you say, and then suddenly the decisions that they make about the business that 
when it wasn't financially linked to them are very different to when they suddenly are financially linked to the outcome. So Yeah, we had a very fun experience (laughs) once with a marketing manager who was desperate to go to one of these marketing junkets that are on an island. And, you know, they're expensive to go to. Our business wasn't in a position to be able to fund that sort of thing. And we had this big argument around, I say argument, but a discussion around the pros and cons of doing this right now and where we're at, right? And there are arguments for each side of being around this, taking our business to the next level, meeting a new type of person, getting access, all this sort of stuff. And really, for me, these junkets that are a complete waste of time. Anyway, so we eventually didn't do it. And this person was really disappointed with that decision from me at the time. Fast forward 12 months later, and the same junket had come up, but that person's remuneration package had changed, and they were running their own budget, and they refused to go as a waste of time because it was now out of their pocket. Refused. We can't waste our money on these things. We can't do that now. The smart or the the nice side of me thinks that because they've matured and because they see the world differently and they've got more experience and things like that, but the reality is was when it wasn't their money, they didn't care. And so you look at these sort of things, which is at this stage in your business, how are your people incentivized to want to grow the business with you? Because you're bigger now, you can't be across everything. You actually have to have people working for you with the business's best interests in mind. And hopefully through your hiring processes, you'll bring those sort of people in. But you have to look for this because it actually shifts the whole mindset when you've got too many people in now that you can't micromanage everyone, which you can in a smaller business because you basically know everything that's going on. As you get bigger, you have to work out how am I putting in the infrastructure? And this is where some people fail because you've done so much work to get to this next level of business. But now you have to start trusting people with your baby and you actually have to allow them to start doing things that you used to be across and you won't be across until there's a challenge. And so some people never make this shift of letting go, of allowing others to contribute. And this is the next stage of business is you becoming more and more irrelevant in tasks that you used to pride yourself on doing because you're not needed in them anymore. Lana, you have a problem with this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) No, no, I'm listening. That was the clunkiest segue ever. I don't, I don't agree, Nigel. I think that's perfect. I don't even know where to go with that. Well, what we're talking about is people reluctant to move away from what they know because they've now got a success formula and they shy away from change. They stop moving. They stop doing things that have to, go, that have to be implemented in order to, to now perform at this type of business. Let's give a really silly example. You might open another location in a different country. You can't physically be in both places at once. I've seen people who've opened multiple businesses. Actually, I work for one. This was back when I was a teen. It just reminded me, I'm just thinking now how stupid it was. I was working at a supermarket stacking shelves and this guy had bought multiple supermarkets. So his solution was to just put cameras on top of every part of the supermarket so he could watch from home from his central monitoring system, right? He, He didn't trust anyone. Who was ripping him off? He was just a paranoid person. And what do you think that happens with the staff? Makes everyone feel paranoid. And it just killed the whole morale of everyone because you felt like you were working in a prison. But people do this because he didn't have the ability to run multiple sites, trust people or have systems and processes 
that allowed him to make sure that business was running when he wasn't there. And apart from the cameras, the worst part was he was a wreck. He never slept because he was just always paranoid about being ripped off. And while this does come back to employment and team members and that side of life, it is more about who you are as a person. So this idea of what we've just been speaking about, don't waste energy on things that you can't control. Does it really matter how someone's sending an email in the grand scheme of things in progressing it forward? Are you still thinking about that email at three o'clock in the morning and worrying about things that actually don't change what's going on? Are you dwelling on the past? All of these things, you might say that it's the employee, but in actual fact, it's how you're responding to it. Are you making that change? Are you growing up? Are you leading and getting the employee to the level? Or are you doing all these little nitpicky things that we've just been talking about that at the end of the day simply means that you can't operate at the high performance that you need to? Yeah, it's that transition from being the star player to the coach. And it's difficult. You see it in athletes that some can't be the coach who have been the star player. They're not suited to that. But as business owners, we get forced into that. And sometimes you shouldn't be the coach. You actually shouldn't be the person leading your team because you're no good at it. And you won't be able to get past a certain point in your business because you're not suited to the role. So then you have to decide as the owner, should I bring someone else in to grow my company or run my company? Just because you're the owner doesn't make you the best person for the CEO role. In terms of innovation and the things you can add, you're going to definitely have a superpower that's useful in your company. But these are the things you have to start evaluating if you've got ambition to grow your company. Where do I best suit or what role should I play in the company now that we're a little bit bigger or that we're progressing in a different way? And this is very, very important because uh, I'll give you an example with when Alana and I had the agency. I didn't really have a role operationally, so I had to be moved onto the board. That was the only role that I could really play and then help as a pinch hitter with problems because that was the stage we're at. Anytime I got operationally involved, we slowed down. And it's, it's hard at the time because you, you want to feel useful, but then you realize I'd actually rather the business be better. And it's very difficult if you're the person who owns it because that's sometimes a hit for the ego, but also you've never considered that you're the worst person in your business right now. <laughs> it's a real slap in the face because you've built it, right? But that's a good thing. It's working out where your energy is best used. And this is very important because you're going to get there at some stage, whether you retire, whether you sell it, whether you do something. So you're actually going to get there. You might as well get there 40 years quicker. And for anyone who could be listening to this feeling a little bit upset that it might be them, that this could be how we've, they operate. We've spoken feeling sorry for yourself, Lana. <laughs> that was the start. By the way, it is you. <laughs> There's actually, um, I think it's Parkinson's Law of Triviality, which talks about the fact that in organisations, when it's too hard to focus on the big stuff, you actually find the smaller stuff. And I know that there is the infamous quote, competition in academia is so vicious because the stakes are so small. And it comes back to this idea of when there's so much happening, we actually do grab onto the trivial stuff, the small things because we can control. And what we're talking about is in order to get to the next level, you have to find a way to let go of what we are deeming the trivial only because we're on the other side. We have experienced it all before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is that next stage in your growth. So if you're looking around at your business now or you're considering how do we go to the next level, how do we grow, what's slowing us down right now? Why haven't we been growing? Start to look at where the roadblocks are. Start to look at where you're a roadblock. Start to look at 
what would happen if someone was performing in this role in your business? And the natural pushback is, well, what is performance? Aha, great. You finally got to the problem. You have no idea what success looks like in each position of your company because you now need to change the structure of your company. There are people who are doing jobs specifically to get a result. Most smaller businesses transition with everyone helping. And that's why they stay small, because at some stage you actually have to grow and bring in people that are specialists. And that's an important jumping point for SMEs that are probably moving through that first one, two million in revenue and have ambition to get to the next level. It is moving from you being a superstar to you being someone who can help superstars come to your business and perform as superstars in your business, including the people who may not be the superstars that are the most important, which are the people who can consistently deliver the things they need to. Not everyone in your business needs to be a superstar, but you need to have that mix right. So when you're at that, you find yourself at that stage where you you feel like you've got through small business and you're an established business. What are the things that don't work for you to go to the next level? And some of the the ones we've noticed, Lana and and Nigel, is people who make the same mistakes over and over again and then get frustrated. They're like, oh, this happened again. That's on you, pal. You get to make the mistake once. Then what happened? The mistake was you never fixed the mistake. So if you did it again, that's a strike one for you as the leader or the owner. If you keep doing it again, well, you're just asking. You're just enjoying the mistake, right? For some reason, you want to, <laughs> you want to keep it in your business. So that's something you've got to work out from a psychological point of view of why do I see a problem and choose to want it in my life again? I won't say adapt that to your personal life, but it happens, right? (laughs) You're talking about it's all full circle and hopefully everyone listening can see how interconnected this is. If you make a mistake and you dwell on it and then you beat yourself up because you feel that you should be getting more from life, but you're dwelling on the mistake that you refuse to fix. Like Everyone should be able to hear that by fixing small parts of what we're talking about, it flows on. It's not just stop dwelling on things and life's okay. If you stop dwelling on things, then you're more open to making mistakes because you don't feel as bad so that you can fix the mistake faster, therefore moving yourself down the path. And so it is picking even one of the things we've spoken about today and figuring out how you can change that for the better because that will help you get to the next level faster based on its impact on any other level of your business. Absolutely. And from that, that's when you get to the point of running a good business, which is you spend no time wasted things that you can't control. And this is probably the most important part of the next stage of business, which is your mindset has to be control what we can control and then deal with the outcomes accordingly. Most people who struggle in the next phase of business, when they start to get bigger, they start to get some momentum, they start to have bigger teams, they start to have more revenue, they don't focus on the things that they should be, which is we can only affect the things that we can affect and the outcome is based on the things we have affected. Now let's see if we need to adjust them. I can't affect the weather. I can take an umbrella, but it doesn't matter how much I try and smash the raindrops, it's not going to stop raining, right? People do the, yeah, it's, it's funny, but then we walk into businesses and people are trying to flick raindrops hoping it'll stop raining, flick them back up. No, it's just raining. What do you need to do now to navigate the rain? And this is that high-performance mindset, which is situation, what do we need to do? 
implement. I keep using sporting analogies, but it's the same thing. That person's injured now. Their leg fell off. What do we need to do? Don't spend the rest of the game wishing the leg was still on. It's a horrible visual. (laughs) But it's the point, right, is it's now performing at a different level personally as you as the leader. It is keeping people focused on where you need to be. And this this is something that is a skill you have to learn. You have to start finding a way to control what you can control, not what you can't control. Because you'll descent into madness. So for us and Lana and Nigel, just obviously talking to a lot of businesses, these are things that have become very obvious for those who are growing their business and getting momentum. They've sort of calibrated some of these ideas, which is this is how I now need to perform in my business because it serves me best. But in terms of the way we do it, and I think this is the, if you want some practical thought or a practical thought process is we consider ourselves machines. We are a machine that goes into the business and our job is to do the things that serve us over and over again. We try and take the emotion out of it because unless the emotion serves us better, then what's the point in adding that element? doesn't mean we don't have fun environments. doesn't mean we don't have great cultures. But as leaders of the business, our job is to detach from what's happening and focus on what needs to happen because that's the way to break through. There's no negotiables. There is, this isn't working, we fix it. It's not, this isn't working, but we think if we give it a few years, it'll probably be okay. Well, that's too long. We may not have a business by then. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking about your business, ask yourself, and we ask ourselves this question all the time, If you were to buy your business right now in the state it was in, what would you do if you had none of the knowledge or attachment that you've had up until this point? What are the things you would execute? What if you didn't have the experiences of things that didn't work? What if you came in like you did at the very start with that energy of you're excited, the world's your oyster, you can do anything with this company? How would you approach it today? How would you approach your life today if you started? right now and said i've just bought into this body and i can do anything i want what would i do because if you start thinking like that you actually start to free yourself you actually start to free your energy you actually start to free those around you to get back into innovation to be positive to look at the next steps to try things again and with that type of energy coming from the leader people can rally around and want to go somewhere with you nigel lana Great to chat. Let's do it all again next week. See ya. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for listening. And of course, if you head on over to backable.ai, you can access all the downloadables we've put together. Now, if you want to stay up to date with all things Backable and Philodomo, then make sure to join our Facebook group and follow us on one or all of the platforms you can find in the show description below. As always, if you have enjoyed this week's podcast, please don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a review. That's all from us for now. Have a great week and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye.